welcome to the Voyager Podcast, hosted by Chris Vick and Brad Alexander. We're a weekly show about authentic faith in unlikely places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We hope you're encouraged. Welcome back to the Voyager Podcast. My name's Brad Alexander. I'm here with Chris Vick. Hi. <laughs> we, we have such an intro thing going. I, I love it, dude. I know. It's like, how many different ways can you say to hi, say hi? I need to learn more languages. Yeah, we're going to find many ways, and Hola. I'm probably going to laugh every time. But um, today is an episode we've all been waiting for. I know I have been, and uh, we're going to get more into your story, Chris. We're going to talk about um, the major theme is growing up in the hardcore scene, but we really want to do a deep dive on how it forged your life, how God's redeemed it, why you love that scene of people and that music. And yeah, I don't know. You want to highlight anything on that? Yeah, I guess I would want to highlight that this is my experience. I, I value it very highly still. Um, but I just want to point out, it's like, I'm not like a historian, a hardcore historian or right? anything like that. And uh, but it for it really formed me from like my high school years on, and and so it's it's probably something worth talking about. I, it is something worth talking about, um, especially because it fits in with like the kind of the counterculture, the the our, our idea yeah. of authentic faith in unlikely places. I would think so. I know there's like some YouTube channels now where like people do like the history of punk rock or history of this or that. It's like we're not doing like a what bands started hardcore, like what eras are there, what, you know, genres and, you know, some bands are like, is it a punk band? Is it a hardcore band? This is not that. This is more, how did the hardcore scene and growing up in it forge you and um, really play into your story and paying homage to some of the really cool things that happened in that scene? Mm -hmm. Uh, Not everything was very cool, but there was a lot of very cool things that happened in that scene of people. And if you grew up in California on the East Coast, Salt Lake City, like a lot of these hub cities, um, there was probably a really great hardcore scene in your area and shows every weekend or every Friday night. And uh, I think a lot of people can relate to this, what it was like to go to these shows and the people you would meet. And I think you have a really great story and a really great um just group of friends that came out of that, and we're excited to talk through it. And um, because I know your story and love it, I'm excited for people to hear more of a deep dive than they got in our introduction episode. And I'm going to try not to repeat that too much from the intro, but who yeah. knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, there might be some level of that because it's all it's all in there. It's all part of it. If you did not catch the intro, you may want to then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, let's take that as a jumping off point. So can you... Take me back to young Chris, and let's do kind of some backstory. What was it like growing up in the Inland Empire, and what was your life like um, growing up? Not in Redlands. You were just outside Redlands, right? Yeah, I was born in Redlands, but I grew up in – when I was two, we moved into a house in in Highland. It's like kind of on the border of Highland, San Bernardino. There's there's a nice side of Highland. We were in the San Bernardino side of Highland. It's rougher for sure. Um, it wasn't like super unsafe or anything like that, but there was there was drive-by shootings and stuff on not on our block, but blocks near us. We would hear gunshots 
pretty often and have helicopters in the backyards and stuff like the light, you know? Um, so it was, there was definitely violence going on. Um, also in our neighborhood that there was fights, we got in fights. It was kind of, it was also like the nineties, like everything was violent in the nineties, you know? Um, and I was like the young, my brother was, I guess the youngest kid on the block, but it was, I was like the youngest that hung with the older guys. And so, you know, I got beat up a couple times trying to, we'd you'd fight your friends, yeah. you know, someone would say something, disrespect each other or whatever. And, you know, that no one's but, talking about their feelings in the nineties, especially not young kids. No, you know, what we used to do is literally like, cause we listened to rap growing up too. And we would try to freestyle. And then we would also just, we'd cap on each other, which was just literally sitting there and making fun of each other all the time, trying to find like little things to like, I was always being made fun of for being white. That, that yeah. was probably the main thing that I was made fun of. But it was just, uh, I, I have no regrets growing up in that culture or anything like that. Um, well, just to paint a picture for anyone not familiar. So I've been to Redlands, Victorian style housing, small business, cool coffee shops, like really cool aspects to State Street. There's a college close by. You're just outside of town. Is it more like desert there? Is it um, what? It, what is it like? No, it's not desert. So it's actually at the base of like the mountains. So we're like okay. right at the base of like Big Bear, basically. Um, gotcha. And so uh, it's it's the valley. I think tech, you know it's a valley kind of thing. Um, a lot of working class families type deal. Yeah, and and San Bernardino, you could do a whole history on that. I mean, it's one of the most dangerous cities in California, which makes it one of the most dangerous cities in the nation. That, that, that was part of it. Redlands was like the gem of the Inland Empire. There's good art. Uh, there's amazing architecture. Like you said, the Victorian houses, like their library is so cool. Their, the Redlands Bowl has like free musicals and free concerts and free outdoor events. A lot of culture, really good coffee. It's it's a cool little city, man. Like it, I, 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 Redlands has still has a big piece of my heart because I just love being around it. It's got a kind of like a East Coast feel because it's all brick, and I, I think the yeah. founders were from Boston, so it's kind of got like sense. a bit of a Boston feel to it. Redlands is a, is a unique place, and it's got a lot of, you know, like I said, really cool, good stuff going for it. But it's surrounded by a lot of poverty and crime and so it's a unique city i didn't live in it but i hung out in it (laughs) yeah you know what's funny i realize and this might take some 90s kids back there's an outdoor amphitheater there that is so cool and i shot a music video recently there for my friend russ and i started thinking about like why do i know this place redlands used to do a concert called mayfest and for my 13th birthday, I got tickets to go. I'm like a Cinco de Mayo kid, so May 5th. And I want to say Mayfest was like May 7th or something. And in 1997, I saw Blink-182 play that amphitheater in Redlands. And like the Aquabats opened up for him. The Aquabats, wow. It was a very 90s show. But I distinctly remember sitting on those benches in that outdoor amphitheater and seeing like a new band at the time. They weren't. It would just form, but mm-hmm. like the song Damn It was just on K Rock, so they were like blowing up. And it's an awesome spot, man. Such a cool spot. It's got 
without vision, people perish on the, on the, yep. did you see that? Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. We hung out a lot. Real punk rock to have that up there. Yeah. Um, so you're out working class kind of families and Redlands has like a bunch of culture. So I'm sure you're going into Redlands. You're kind of, how do these formative years start to go? Like, did your family go to church when you're young? Like, yeah. So my dad, um, I mentioned it in the intro episode, but he had, uh, his dad had ran out on him when he was like eight and, um, he'd formed, you know, he say started smoking when he was eight and started, you know, doing drugs and drinking. And, um, they had me and he was still, still doing all that stuff and went to rehab when I was six. Um, and he's still clean and sober to this day, which I'm so so grateful for yeah, uh my amazing. mom from the she's from the bay area and she's a valedictorian and so wow. it's, it's like a really a contrast unique, big time <laughs> contrast yeah uh they were pretty young when they had me and we you know we were trying to like kind of figure it out we were going to the church um it's a dutch reformed church in redlands um i'm half dutch big part of our our culture uh was we were part of that like a dutch community and we went to a dutch church um, and we went pretty often, you know, like, but I was, I never really had felt like I was connecting, I guess, in a sense there. Um, there were some good people there, man. Even going back, I got a chance to speak there after I'd really gotten saved, which is really cool. What a cool moment. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I remember as a kid, I sensed like that there was God, that there was a God. I had an awareness of God and I really thought I could talk to him and I really thought he'd listen to me. To some extent, um, I didn't do it a lot, but I remember st- stupid little stuff. Like I had uh, this like banjo. It was like a Muppets banjo or something. <laughs> called it my guitar. And, um, so sick. One pick. And that thing got lost constantly. And I remember like praying like, God, help me find my pick. I can't find my pick. And I remember praying like, God, if you're real, help me find my pick. And I found it, my little yellow pick. And, and that was like a landmark, even probably six, seven years old. I don't know how old I was. But – an awareness of God, uh, but I didn't have like an active, like we would do the stuff, VBS and, you know, stuff like that at the church, but I never had like a, I guess, a vibrant relationship with the Lord. I never had like a devotional relationship with the Lord. I was around it, um, but there was not enough of a foundation personally for anything mm. to stick later when when the teenage years kind of came, you know? I'm envious of people that got it very young. I don't know your wife Tori's story, but I would imagine that she probably had a good understanding young. Yeah. I'm with you where it's like I was read the Bible by my stepmom and I understood that there was a God. I didn't necessarily comprehend like the Trinity or anything. And it was always just like, God, if you're there, can you like turn this lamp on and off so I could just know you're there? Like there's Mm. always the struggle. And I've heard a lot of people say that. And it's like, for me, I think I had to like crash my car a little bit so God could save me so I could really feel his presence. But yeah, I envy people that got it super young. But I think a lot of us, it's like, even when you know he's there and and you believe, it's like there's an emotional maturity that hasn't hit yet to really comprehend what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that how you kind of feel? Yeah, definitely. And I I think I felt there's there's some of the people were... A, a bit like legalistic, I guess, and didn't let kids work through stuff. <laughs> like I'd have my hair color different colors, or I eventually was like, a, you know, wearing hardcore 
shirts and they hear the music and they'd be like, what is this? Like almost looking at you like you're demon possessed or something. And you're like, no, man, it's like, that's not, that's not what I'm doing. Like, uh, Tori, she, she's amazing. That's, I love my wife. She's always loved the Lord. Like as far as she can remember, she has had like a relationship with like a real relationship with the Lord. That's authentic. It's really cool. And I pray my kids continue that, like in that lineage, in that, like, you know, (laughs) um, as a foundation, I guess, as that as a, you know, pattern. I remember my friend told me this story once where his mom like was like all mad at him and she was kind of more legalistic Christian and she picked up a point of recognition CD and she's like this devil music. And it's like, yeah, that's a Christian hardcore. (laughs) Exactly. Read the lyrics. Yeah. Growing up, uh, I never, it's weird. I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. I never felt like I fit in. I, I just didn't feel like I fit in. And I, I felt like to fit in meant to actually not be myself. It meant to try to be like somebody else. You're trying to hang out, you know? You're trying to not be the butt of a joke or whatever. And right. and I remember being like, you know, not even know what's cool clothes or whatever. You know, we didn't buy the skate brands very often. I had like a shirt or two that were like more expensive. And then we would, I'd wear them all the time. <laughs> wear them out, yeah. you know? Um I would try, you know, and I remember one year I came to school and had like new clothes and somebody said, wow, you're actually like dressing cool this year. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So that's the template. And so we went back and got like all the same kind of a thing. And then it was basically like, never mind. I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. And it was like, that was like the kind of junk you got to deal with growing up. And so I always felt like, oh, man, I got to figure out a way like to you know, fit in in some sense and not be like an outsider. And so I started getting funny. Like that, that was a lot of what I would do. I'd kind of do almost anything on a joke, a prank, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I would do something outrageous, like just to make people laugh, you know, something that's completely at someone else's expense and um, got my identity in a sense from that because I was like, okay, well, I can't be as cool as everyone in this way and I can't be as cool as everyone in this way. I guess I'll be funny. I guess I'll be random. I guess I'll be unpredictable. And I was very unpredictable. But people liked it. Wild card. I was such a wild card. I didn't care about people at all. I just cared about Hmm. me and I cared about what other people, I guess in some sense, thought about me uh, earlier on. I, I started listening to punk rock when I was in, I don't know, early junior high, maybe. The band that really got me into it was Pennywise. And um, I loved the music. I loved the the lyrics. Um, and they're not necessarily, they're not really positive lyrics necessarily. But no. I loved the raw, the, there was like a realness and a rawness that I like, I wanted for myself. Because I think I felt like I'm not who I am. I'm like, I'm trying to be something I'm not to fit in. They so, were really about that, too. They were all about pushing back on authority and yeah. establishment. Yeah. I could see relating to that. And I and I did. And so that's when I, like, would hear these songs and i go, man, yeah, like, this is how I feel. Uh, they're also, like, anti-religion, anti-all kinds of stuff, right? But for me, it was, like, something where I felt, oh, man, there's a voice calling me out of what I'm feeling right now because I hate not feeling like myself. I played sports, which I mentioned before I, I ended up playing three sports in high school, um, varsity, ba- uh, football, soccer, baseball. Baseball was my sport, though. That's why my 
primary sport. And as you know, I'm hyper competitive. We've talked about this. And you're a bigger guy. Yeah. Like in, in the sense of like you're tall, you have a big build. Yeah. You look like an athletic guy. I, I could have seen football being your sport because I'm sure you could just demolish people. But well, I started playing football as a junior, so I was kind of late in the game. Uh, but as a senior, I played both both sides of the ball. Um, and I was the kicker, believe it or not, because my soccer background. <laughs> yeah. uh, but doing well in sports, all-star teams, you know, um, whatever. I was a pitcher and ended up eventually playing at Valley Junior College in San Bernardino. Um, so I, I did all right in that sense. I got I got a scout that looked at me from the Tigers and I had a card and wow. he was asking, yeah. So I have friends that saw that. That's my like claim to fame. That's as far as I can go with that. Um, <laughs> but I have witnesses. My friend Jason Keller was there. He saw it happen, which I was grateful for. Yeah. Um, I never felt like I was that was my identity either. I mean, I'm hearing punk rock, and then later I'm introduced to the hardcore scene. My friends say, "Hey, do you want to go to this show?" I loved heavy music. I loved heavy riffs, even like Metallica or Pantera or whatever. I loved mm. the heaviness of it. Uh, and I went to my first show. It was at, called The Mule Lip, the con- Concrete Jungle in Colton in this old – looked like a western town um, that used to be there. And uh, there was a show, and I was immediately hooked because I felt like it. they were talking about real stuff, people screaming the lyrics – like they were in it together. I saw people who looked very different, um, but not even like one kind of different. It was it was in the back when the hardcore scene. You like they didn't all look alike, you know. Like later on, it would be like more, you know, yeah, a uniform in a sense, which <laughs> is to me kind of funny because that's totally becoming like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it it really is. Yeah, we're rebels in all the exact same ways. Um, <laughs> I, and I laugh because Chris knows this, but I was a South Orange County hardcore kid, so I very much was a part of that aspect and drawn in by that aspect. And You guys definitely had a uniform. I had a pink streak in my hair, which could be blue or green or any number of colors depending on the day, and a lot of piercings and gauged ears. You guys had flat irons. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we would only wear black and you know wear eyeliner, and it was just like... Maybe like the later generation's version of glam rock in some way. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. It's funny. You just showed me a picture of that, and that's kind of what you think about. You see like the bandana, and you're like, "Gosh, you could have been in like." Yeah, the hairsprayed like faux hawk, and you're just like, probably took a lot of time to do that to your hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I wasn't really in that world as much, um, partially because of who I am, and partially because Redlands is a different place. Mm-hmm. So. Colton, where I went to that show, it's right next to Redlands. There was two Redlands bands playing that night. Uh, this introduction, it got me hooked. I bought the tapes of the bands immediately, and I started listening to them, and we would listen to it in my friend's car. He had a Volkswagen van, and he would, like, jump it. There was this road in the back side of Redlands, and he would drive so, so fast and then literally jump a Volkswagen van again. And we were in it anyway. Dude. But we would listen to like these bands. And it was my, f- it ended up becoming my friends who were in the bands. It was Consecrate, Discontent, two Redlands bands um, that were a little older than me, maybe a year or two older than me, but they were still in high school. Um, and they were putting out this awesome music. And I just like, I was hooked, man. I just had to hear it. I had to listen more. So we started going to the shows. Um, there was a, a venue in Redlands that was actually a church called Oasis. 
and they would have shows like Friday nights, and like not every Friday night, but a lot. And that's where I like really just learned to love the hardcore scene. We would get all of our friends together as many as we could. We're like, let's go, let's go, and we would go, and it was it was such a fun time. Uh, this and, was like the first time that you really felt like you found your people. Yeah, because I felt like I I always was drawn to passion, and I also was always like had in a sense a lot of anger. That's something that's like a default disposition, I guess. I, I got angry at things. I, I like to demonize things and then make it into something and then get angry about it. And so the hardcore scene uh, spoke to kind of clarity of vision, of st- standing, st- being set apart, where there's a group of people that says, you don't have to be like everybody else. You don't have to look like everybody mm-hmm. else. And so to me, it's like, well, that's freedom for me. And so I decided I am going to do that. And of course, you get ridiculed for that too. But then you're like, well, I don't care anymore. So you no longer have the bargaining chips you had before. And so like that kind of like even like that bullying, emotional, socio bullying no longer has the teeth it had before. And so um, that started to transform me. Uh, where I, and I started to feel more and more um, empowered by aligning as a hardcore kid. I, a, a hardcore kid who plays baseball and football and soccer, which there are some, you know, but I was still living kind of in two worlds. But I I started really thinking of myself as a hardcore kid. All my shirts were band shirts now, like bands I liked, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, and my attitude started to change too. Like I said, I played baseball. We had a tournament in, it was actually in San Juan. We were staying at uh, Doheny. Oh, no kidding. Mm -hmm. We had a tournament out there. And uh, I was one of the younger guys on our team. And they, they loved messing with people, like hazing. You know, this was before hazing was bad. Yeah. And so there was like no holds barred. It was oh, pretty boy. wild. Yeah. And I was one of the younger guys on the team, and I was just trying to be cool with everyone, you know? like And, of course, when you do that, you're kind of like, who knows? You might be a victim. And I was smaller then, and I remember they were like, let's throw them in the water. And they were like going to grab me and throw me in the water. And I just remembered being like, you know what? No. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and and so I like started punching and kicking everybody. I just started drilling people. Like I mean, it was like 10 on one and I never went in the water. <laughs> I did not end up in that water and they never, ever tried to put me in the water again. You made a mental note that day. That's when things changed for me. That's when I started to see the world a little differently. I became highly aggressive and I remember like one of the guys from that team, he was older than me, and he says, hey, you could try your little freak out thing, and I don't buy it. And I said, well, then let's find out. And so that was like a switch for me. And guess what? He never did. Yeah. And so I started to see the world differently, and I saw bullies differently, and I saw in- I started to see through them as insecure. Like, you're fake. You guys are – you oh. love your pack, but you're not, you're not the real thing. And so I started cutting right to the chase with people and I started to realize you're, you're full of it. You're full of it. You're full of it. And if push comes to shove, I might go down, but I'm taking you with me. You are competitive. You're a bigger guy. But when we talk about like that, you used to be more angry or, or even we have some mutual friends. And I've heard that in the hardcore scene, like people loved you, but they kind of knew you as the guy that, you know, could get into some stuff. It's hard to see you as that, but I can but I I'd, I'd never placed like 
that probably is the moment that it clicked and it came out of people kind of trying to bully on you and you realize when you stood your ground they backed down and you probably made a mental note that day where you're like no one's ever gonna try and get the one up on me again you know it's kind of ramp it up to an 11 as soon as you can i I was not i'm gonna be transparent i was not like a brawler i wasn't like fighting all the time you know but like i just knew i could go nuts if i needed to and it was like things things happened you know things changed when you did that um and so that was kind of like became a norm for me and i started living like that so now i'm no longer bullied but i could bully Mm. potentially because i now had the bargaining chips because now you're the wild card that not might not just might say something really funny but also might do something totally insane so that's yeah. kind of like how I started to align myself. And it's not like I wasn't without fear. I definitely had fear. And there was times I'm sh- it showed. But like I started to go, oh, I can change things with my violence. I can I can take this anger and I could use, use it and utilize it. It's like Star Wars. No, 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 no. Don't use that rage. Don't use that anger. And, and I would. I would use it. But it, what I didn't know is it was really grabbing hold of me. Mm. Uh, and that's something I would have to deal with later later. Uh, after becoming a Christian, like full-blown Christian, um, there was a lot of that stuff that was still really rooted in my life and in my heart uh, that I had to work through. So Still had to be dealt with. So did you feel like the the punk and, and eventually the hardcore scene kind of gave you a place where you could kind of use that anger as well? Like, I, yeah. I know they were kind of your people, but um, there is a lot of positivity in that scene. But there probably was also a space to like kind of use that anger and be championed for it or get pats on the back for it. When So when I first started going to hardcore shows, it's like, I don't know, 96 or something like that. It was like a, a completely positive thing for me in a sense. Like uh, there, I don't remember seeing many fights at all. Uh, it was mostly sing-alongs circle pits you know there was like a little bit of like breakdown you know style dancing you know uh but it wasn't what it would later become there was like everybody running across the room and running to the other side like braveheart style you know just like it was just fun we were just having so much fun you'd end up with people jumping on your back and climbing up to get to the stage and you know and you, you do that and you're trying to climb over the top of people and Knowing the songs, you're singing along. It was it was really positive uh, initially, but it it sparked passion for me because a lot of the music I was listening to, like I can't relate to. This I felt like was actually people telling the truth and being honest and transparent, and that's something I really value, and I've never stopped valuing it. And I think becoming a hardcore kid has actually helped me um, tap into that more. And I think whenever I forget that, everything I do suffers because you start doing things that people do in your position. Oh, I could do that because that's what people do. That's how they would do it. Especially in ministry, like, oh, churches do it like this. No, why? Why why do they do that? Is it biblical or is it cultural? Because mm. cultural, I could care less about that. Like yeah. in the sense of like, oh, you're just that's just what we do. No, 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 no. Let's be real about what we're about because then you can have passion for it. You're not mailing it in. And so I felt like I was frustrated by a lack of passion in the world. And so I found that in the hardcore scene. And so it made a lot of sense to me. And the other part was they were young. There's a bunch of young kids leading the charge. And so it felt like a, it was a youth movement of uh, passionate, um, well-spoken, 
and it seemingly directed kids come to find out much less so than you thought but like it, <laughs> yeah. it gave us something to to go to you know yeah i can relate to that everything that i liked about the hardcore scene or the skate scene a lot of the hardcore scene a lot of those kids were like skaters when they were young too not every skater went that direction right but because of the punk crossover with skating a lot of the friends i had in the hardcore scene we were all skateboarders growing up and that kind of like we're angry, we want to make some noise, we care about things. There's something really captivating about that, Mm -hmm. especially when you're surrounded by people that just want to fit in or go to football games on Friday night, hang out with the popular kids, and then all of a sudden you're going to shows on Friday nights, not the football game, getting rowdy about it, making noise. There's something really, like, I get chills thinking about it now, especially the straight edge movement Mm -hmm. and kind of what was big for us in in Orange County because we had a lot of local bands is, like, Throwdown, Mm -hmm. 18 Visions, Sweeting Through. And Throwdown was, like, the closest local band to being just a straight edge hardcore band. Mm -hmm. That's all they wanted to talk about. This is a family. I count on you. You count on me. Like, raise your fist in the air. Like, everything was just, like, we're in this together. And this is the direction we're moving, and you're with us if you're with us, you know? And there's something, I think, that I've since found in God's family in the church that's way more real than what that was. But that was real. It Mm -hmm. was real. And it invited a lot of us in, and it said, you have a home here. If you want a home, you have one here. And I think a lot of us needed that at that time, you know? Definitely. I I went from dressing like a skater to a hardcore. So it was like from my green half-cab... Do you remember those? <laughs> yeah. With the, yeah. And then to like Adidas, like Sambas or Nike Cortez. Some, Nike Cortez. Yeah, because yeah. we had the we had the whole like hood influence too, you know, on a, mm-hmm. uh, especially in our on our in our world. Uh but so I went from that to that, you know. Uh and we were I did the high socks and everything, dude. Like yeah. <laughs> the higher the socks. Yeah. Uh That's but awesome. anyway, so I kind of started to really realize, oh man, this is this is something I I really feel at home with. I later find these friends hanging out and they'd hang out what we called the stoop. It was the steps and they'd hang out. There's burritos and stuff right in front of it. And uh, I'd walked by and I, my friend Eric, who was in one of those bands, he's like, hey, I've seen you at shows. Like, come hang out. I was like, okay. So I walked over there and so cool. started hanging out. Um, was Eric kind of like the ringleader of that group? Yeah, especially in that era. He, uh, Eric's like, I love Eric. He grabbed people and he'd bring them in and he genuinely cared about them, you know? And, uh, but he'd see kids on the outskirts and he'd bring them in. At this point, he's a Christian already, um, too. Oh, even that far back. Mm-hmm. At this point, he, he was already a Christian, which was really interesting because they were also like super hard, hardcore kids who had like, pretty gnarly backgrounds and very not Christian things, but he saw value in people. And I, I think that was really cool. He would pick people up and bring them in. And so we had a, it, the whole hardcore scene was a bunch of ragtag kids. And then the older guys who were holding it down, I was closer to the older guys in age and kind of like ended up there, but they would always bring younger kids around and they were super patient, super kind, like loving towards them. Uh, but also like directed them because some of these kids had no kind of structure in their life at all. So they would like tell them stuff like don't start trouble and and expect us to fix it. Like if you do, we're going to have to deal with you. 
Like, you know, like teaching them like stuff like that. Like, dude, you can't say stuff to people for no reason. Like you learn this kind of stuff. Um, They would teach them about like bands. Like, dude, here's some of the old bands. Here's like where the, you know, the scene came from. Learn this Gorilla Biscuit song and this Minor Threat song. And and so there was always like a, a bringing back to like tradition and culture and but bringing other people into it no matter what they look like. There's this kid in particular, his name was a heart attack, I call him heart attack. And we met him and he was like wearing like rave beads or something. He was just such a wild man. And someone brought him in and uh, he was, his teeth were like stained because he would drink like straight grenadine. He was just such an interesting dude. And I watched my friends wrap their arms around this kid and bring him in. He had a pretty rough like story. And eventually, some of my friends took him to Walmart, bought him clothes, brought him into the scene, brought him into the culture, and hooked him up. So it worked like a family, you know? Um, But it was like a wild family. And every time you're with them, probably to this day, something crazy is going to happen. Like, they're just, they're always doing crazy stuff. We had a friend who ate a thrown up burrito for like $30. <laughs> so one gnarly. of my friends threw up. This is there's so we we're all straight edge at this point or most of us. And so one of my friends had gotten a hold of a keg and he had emptied it out of like Molson beer or something and filled it up with a uh, IBC root beer. This was like our drink of choice, IBC root beer. And he did a keg stand on this on a, on a root beer keg. Oh. And he threw up a Kuka's burrito, which Kuka's is the Redlands, like, that's the go-to Mexican food spot. And he throws it up, and another friend says, that's still good. That's like, that's good (laughs) Kuka's burrito. (laughs) We're like, no way it's good. But it looked like there was a lot to it, you know, sitting on the grass in the backyard. (laughs) It was of my aunt's house, my great aunt's house that my Eric lived in, my friend Eric lived in. And um, they said, dude, I dare you to eat it. So like, no, no, don't eat it. As a, half the friends are like trying to preserve these people's lives, but the other half are like, yeah. let's see where this goes. And so anyway, this is how things will usually happen. Somebody started throwing money down. I'll give you five bucks if you eat it. Oh, I'll give you another five. Oh, I'll give you three. I'll give you whatever. He ends up eating a thrown up burrito for $30. The same guy ate a stick of margarine for five. Uh, one person ate a cigarette at one point. Like It was like they were just the... Doing the craziest stuff. There was a house that was like a flop house that all these guys lived at. And they had a car that they'd shot with guns multiple times. And and they said, one of the friends came with them and said, all right, dude, you can ride with us, but you've got to man the sword. And he's like, what the heck does that mean, man the sword? And uh, he says, you got to hold this sword out the window because it, it takes up the whole back seat. It's <laughs> a, a giant Lord of the Rings replica sword. He would, they'd hold it out the window driving down the street. I mean, there's just crazy, crazy, stupid stuff. Like, I'm not going to stop at a stop sign the whole way home. Stupid stuff that you're like, why would you do that? Breaking cars, breaking, you know, jacuzzis, you know, fences constantly, just getting into all kinds of trouble sober. We were super entertained. We definitely didn't need drugs or alcohol or anything to keep our attention because we were always doing something or we were at a show or we were hanging out late at Kuka's or at Del Taco, hopefully not getting in a fight, but you never know. Like like, that's the kind of stuff that we were doing. Yeah. I think um, it's just really cool. 
And some of us, like I don't personally know Eric, but a lot of us would recognize him as being the guitarist of, of Sleeping Giant or guitarist eventually singer in Death Star because a lot of us saw Death Star play. It's just cool that like you guys had these older guys and it sounds like if Eric said you're cool, then like everyone kind of accepts you. Like if Eric says you're in the group, you're in the group type deal. Yeah, Eric's one. There's there's more, way more than just him. I don't want to just say him, but he was the one that brought me in um, and everybody respected him. He was older than most of them and he, he had skin in the game. He he would put money down for stuff like he and it would be at his house late at night. You know, it's not yeah. it's, it's not um, easy to do to be that person it's and it's really it's hospitality dude the guy's got a gift of hospitality he lets people come over even when he doesn't feel like it he he knows people need a place needed a place to go so i was really i guess grateful for that people yeah and we really had each other's back you know like we looked out for each other and you know but as like hardcore kids we definitely had a chip on our shoulder too I think like not all of the hardcore scene was like that. And that's what's cool is like that same heart. Oh, you're broken. I'm broken too. But now you have a place here. Like we're all healing together. And I think in the hardcore scene, there was some of that going on too, where it's like, hey, you're dysfunctional. So are we, mm-hmm. but you're with us now. You have, you have a group now. If you haven't fit in or you haven't found your place and all of a sudden there's a group of guys and they're wild and they have fun and they're doing things and they care about things. And they're like, guess what? Like you're one of us now. You're like, yeah, I think I am. Yeah. Cause I just want to hang out with you guys. Yeah. Cause that, that's what was cool about it. It was like, even like that guy I was talking about heart attack. He, he didn't seem to have any desire to have anything to do with hardcore. He was just like a kid that was wandering around and needing help in a sense. Like, and they're like, Hey, grab him, bring him in, bring him close let's help this kid out let's give him a place to go that's better than where he would go on his own you know and so there was always that that element of it i think that was cool because the the older dudes at that time they never like looked at the younger guys like they're lesser than Mm. which i think is a really really cool thing and i don't think that's actually that's unique in the hardcore scene because there's a lot of ego there where guys like um bigger than you or i'm in this band or i'm in that band or whatever and it wasn't like that. Everybody had access to hang out with everybody else, and everybody was cool with each other. You know, um, there was a pecking order in a sense of like, you can't just do whatever you want. Like, you know, but that's that's healthy. You know, like come on in, like be part of this, but you got to act like you're part of the family. You know, and so we had like a eyewitness crew was like our guys. You know, and okay. so it's like tattoos we have that are like kind of signify <laughs> yeah. a crew. These were Christian guys that were part of the hardcore scene, like legit kind of tried and true in a sense. And so that was like our, our people, but there was like, there was some, in a sense, some laws and rules and stuff to that, to making sure people were representing that well. Um, and some of these guys are s- like some of still some of my really best friends. I don't see them all the time, but I really love them. And I'm so grateful for their influence. And every time I talk to them, I'm like spirits uplift, uplifted because we laugh and we joke around and and uh, and a lot of them are still believers too, which is really cool. Just to kind of recap a bit, so it's like you were pretty primed by the time that you found the hardcore scene because you a love your dad and your dad going to rehab, which is the best thing he could have done, and and has continued to show fruit because he has stayed clean until this day. But it did create like a hatred for drugs and alcohol because mm-hmm. you're like, this is what it does. 
It yeah. takes my dad away from me. Right. So this something like the straight edge scene would have already appealed to you. Moshing and going to shows and, and the passion, all that is already going to appeal to you. And it's a place where your, your anger, and especially as it got more crew oriented in that scene and like there was more kind of like fights going on at shows and stuff and you had to know how to handle yourself, you were probably an asset in certain senses with certain people, I would imagine. Yeah, there's there was definitely an element to that. How does the next some odd years of going to shows, hanging out with those guys, like how does it start to form you more and more before you become a Christian? Like, what does your life look like? What What are you guys doing? What is life like? What's the direction look like? What What is happening to you as a person? Yeah, like you said, my the hardcore scene was like almost like tailor made in some sense for me. Like the straight edge scene, it was like putting words to what I felt. It was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. Like because I, like you said, with my dad, I hated that. I also hated how everyone followed each other at, in high school. Like, oh, let's, oh, it's so cool to drink. <laughs> and I like, just like, I was just like, that's just so stupid. It wasn't a thing for me, you know? Um, it's funny, I've had to like, as a pastor, like, okay, what is the real take on on all that? You know, I gotta really have to like redo that because my my natural instincts are, were so against it. Right. Uh, and so I've had to like calibrate it with the word of God, right? And go, oh, man, okay. But I started going to shows as much as I could at this point. Um, and there was a lot of really great bands coming through, uh, especially even into Redlands. One band that was playing all the time was No Innocent Victim. I mentioned it in the intro episode. And their lyrics were really different. They were hardcore kids, and but the lyrics were so insanely Christ-centered and like focused on really following Jesus. I actually just recently started listening to the old albums again. There's one called uh, Strength, and it's from like 92 or something. Oh, man. And then No Compromise, I think, is from like 96 or 97. I don't yeah, know. I saw you have like the 7-inch in your house. I've seen it before. That's Flesh and Blood, I think. Yeah, okay. I think we have Flesh and Blood. They're great. I mean, they're so good. And so I'm listening to this as a, at best, nominal Christian kind of been around it, don't really have much value for it, don't really see the church as being all that cool, didn't think youth group was very cool, <laughs> I didn't think any of that stuff was cool. But listening to these lyrics, they were speaking in such a clear and concise way with, like, you could tell integrity and care, passion. It wasn't like, this is what I think I should say to kids. It wasn't like, this is what I think a Christian should say. It was like, like in a sense, a love letter to the hardcore scene. Like, man, do you guys know what it would be like to follow Jesus? You think you know what strength is? You know, you think you know what you're talking about? You don't think this is affecting you? Like, can I tell you, draw, go to Jesus, go to Jesus. And I'm listening to these songs and I'm like, I'm taking it in. And I'm not, it's not like having like dramatic effects initially, but it's building a foundation. I have anger. I have all these kind of things. A lot of pride and arrogance even comes out in a sense because you start feeling like you're a hot shot, especially at shows. And you, like you said, it became more violent early 2000s, mid 2000s, got really violent. And we would dance, we'd go to shows and we, you know, if you've ever seen the dancing, it's not dancing, you know, it's like, it's basically punching people (laughs) and kicking people. And we took a lot of pride and Redlands shows up, we dance hard, you know, all of our friends are there or whatever. And so I had pride in that, you know? Uh, So there was that element to it, but there was also where God was really like 
calling me out by these lyrics and this movement. And now I, my son listens to this. My wife is also came from the hardcore scene. Yeah. She's, yeah, so she like grew up going to shows. We never, we never met each other or anything. We met each other later, but we found out we were at a ton of the same shows together. So she had like a, a background in it too. Now my kids are listening to it. What yeah. do you what do you see in the sanctuary? Like after youth group, sometimes here y- your kids <laughs> playing breakdowns. Your yeah. daughter screaming. Cannon, your sons on the drums. We my need little, to get them a china. My <laughs> we have one. Yeah, my little cutesy nine year old, like the girliest girl daughter, sc- like death metal screaming. So it's part of our family, and I'm passing it on, and I'm like letting my son listen to his eleven. Loves music. It loves hardcore. He's already way into it, and he's. He's like a very similar makeup to me. So I'm looking at him. I'm going, how do I direct you through this? How do I give you this? Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm like, listen to this. No one's a victim. He loves it. He put it on his little playlist. And uh, so it's it's having effects because it has a there was a real positive element to that. Also, I'm choosing to go into the, the other side, too. Yeah, that's the complexity of these things, right? Is Tori was able to walk with the Lord her whole life but also love punk rock and hardcore for its honesty and like the things it's about, but not take it to like a negative place and was going to some of the same shows as you. And like your son is kind of mini you. He's very athletic. He's gifted athletically. But my wife, Alyssa and I were talking about the other day, like Cannon is one of the most respectful, just polite behaved kids we've been around. And even at the skate park, when I'm skating around with him, he is like, He's such a good kid, has such a good heart. And you see, like, because you come from some of the worlds he's in and have introduced him to, like, here's the good parts of hardcore. And, you know, you are athletic, but here's, like, how you need to keep it in tame or not Mm -hmm. use it to abuse other kids because you've shepherded him. He has such a good head on his shoulders already. And it's just, like, mentorship means everything. Right. Eric, like mentored you or some of these guys mentored you and it's like we all need mentors even to this day we need mentors and um you don't always see it when you're young that you kind of need direction you kind of just think like you've got it all together you know you don't always see it when you're old either that's true because the mentor also needs to be mentored like that's true that that's a big thing right uh thanks for saying that about my son (laughs) i love him a lot we're and we're you know He's he's growing, he's learning, and we think, okay, what do we want to expose him to? What does he want to? What do we want him to to hear and not hear? Uh, we're in the world, not of the world, you know. Um, yeah. So he 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 hears secular bands too. I'm, I'm showing him and I'm telling him the history. This is where this comes from. This is where this falls short. This is yeah. where this is where we what we take from it. This is what we don't, you know, like that sort of a thing. And he he's really responsive to that, which is really sweet. Um, but I love the fact that there's bands that are able to like pierce into impressionable kids who are looking for a purpose. There's there's something about passion that's really important. It's really important. Yeah, I agree. In the Old Testament, it was something that was brought up. Like Paul, when he describes himself, saying like, "If you'd have any any you know trust in the law, I more so," you know, and he starts giving this whole list of you know his lineage and how he was trained up, and he says concerning zeal persecuting the church and it's like zealous being zealous or being passionate was like something really important to them so we see a lot of that right now in the world kids are like looking for something to be passionate about and care about 
and they're like don't they don't know where to go with it and i think well this is this is something that drew my attention and it brought me to a place of passion and it also exposed me to someone who was passionate about christ that had a a huge impact on my life that i wouldn't even see until years later Mm. this story chris has so much value and so much relatability and um i think we're we'll break it into a two-parter so that people can digest you know part of the story and then we'll come back so um yeah it we're thankful you tuned in and uh we always encourage people to reach out if you have any questions or just want to encourage us um we have an instagram the voyager podcast and you can reach out message through there chris runs that or um there's a link tree with a contact form that goes to us as well or you can email contact at calvarycarlsbad.com Uh, We always, you know, are encouraged by by messages we get or just people texting, calling, seeing people in real life and hearing that people are are being blessed by these stories and different things. And um, we just love the story. And um, I love Chris's story. And I I want just all the depth we can get out of it because it's so relatable. So we're going to continue this in part two. And we hope you join us. And we will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Voyager Podcast. If you'd like to reach out, you can reach us through Instagram at the Voyager Podcast or through contact at calvarycarlsbad.com. We hope this has been encouraging for you. Until next time.